Lord Jesus, that you would become as real to us as eating and drinking, that you uh, might dwell in us and we in you. Amen. A few weeks, we have been uh, walking through Jesus' bread of life discourse, where he says some astonishing things and makes some remarkable claims about who he is and what he has come to do. And so it might be helpful as we look through this little passage, if you have your leaflet or your Bible, just to track along. Because even though he is saying this in a synagogue in Capernaum, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, his words are for us today as well. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's not surprising that those who were listening to Jesus found themselves grumbling and arguing about who and what he meant. Regardless of your ethnic or religious background, this sounds creepy. In fact, when the early church started to grow in the Roman Empire, one of the accusations against it that brought on much persecution was that the church was cannibalistic. These people eat someone's flesh. And yet, in their grumbling, we find that the Jews in Jesus' day make the same mistake that many make today, here and now. And that is, they think that Jesus is being literal, that you must actually partake physically of his body. And this is a problem with a literal interpretation. Jesus also said that he was a door. He also said that he was the true vine, and yet no one thinks he's a door or a vine. It reminds me of a friend of mine who is the pastor of a Baptist church in town, and they uh, usually have a morning and evening service, but a fire displaced them from their building, and so they had to meet at a school which did not allow them their evening service. And in the evening service, the first Sunday of the month, they would always celebrate communion. And because they didn't have the ability to gather in the evening, the pastor and my friend decided to have communion once a month in the morning, and it caused a firestorm of controversy. The deacons absolutely rebelled against it, and the deacon that was leading the charge said, look, we need to talk about this. And so they had a very intense, serious meeting, and the pastor friend of mine said, what is your main objection to having communion at the Sunday morning service? And the deacon very seriously looked at him and said, because it's the Lord's Supper and not the Lord's breakfast. take the Bible at its plain meaning, what is, what is the scripture saying at its face value, but you see how sometimes taking things that were not meant to be taken literally when they are can cause all kinds of problems. But what we see in this passage is that the root of the problem in understanding what Jesus is saying does not lie in Jesus' failure to be clear. In fact, When they begin to grumble, Jesus doesn't tone down his argument. He strengthens it. He doesn't seek to make it more palatable to the listeners or, well, let me put it a different way that maybe would be easier for you to to receive. But he becomes even more clear 
in his articulation of eating and drinking, his body and his blood. And there is behind it an urgency in his message. There's a necessity. You must eat and drink of Jesus' body and blood if you are to have eternal life. The problem in understanding what Jesus is saying lies in unbelief. Unbelief never understands the mysteries of salvation. Yes, those of us who who know the Lord and are believers, we struggle with it from time to time too. But that's why Jesus, when when he's preaching, says things like, he who has ears, let him hear. Why? Because God must give us spiritual ears in order to understand and discern spiritual things. And often in the midst of unbelief, you will hear things like what the, what the folks in Capernaum are saying in this passage, these sort of throwaway lines like this or that is a sheer impossibility. Therefore, I cannot and will not believe it. So we know that Jesus is not saying, eat my arm, right? He's not saying that. Some have also asserted that Jesus is speaking here of Holy Communion. Now, absolutely, Holy Communion gets a lot out of this passage, but we don't get Holy Communion out of this passage. Indeed, we see Jesus saying in verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The church has never believed or taught that Holy Communion will save you. If that were the case, I would be out on the street every hour of every day shoving bread and wine down everybody's throats. I would hide it in my children's cereal. Right? I would, because if it was simply a matter of eating and drinking the bread and the wine, Christianity by osmosis, then it would be talking about Holy Communion. And yet, what Holy Communion does is it draws from this passage of Scripture, and when you come forward to the rail, you hear the words, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee. Right? Remember Remember that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ is what makes you whole. It's his blood which was shed for thee that preserves your body and soul unto everlasting life. And indeed, communion is a sweet and wonderful and mystical and spiritual feeding of our souls. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Yes, there are parallels, but he's not saying just take Holy Communion and you'll be fine. What he's talking about, as he points to himself, is that he is the source of life. In the same way that we need food and drink to survive, Jesus is saying in order to survive in this world spiritually, you need me. One must eat this bread, not merely taste it. And to eat Christ as the bread of life means to accept, to appropriate him. In other words, to believe in him so that he begins to live in us and we in him. And this is what he's been talking about all the way up through the Gospel of John, up to this chapter of, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that he who believes in him will have everlasting life. What is it to be doing the works of God? 
that you believe in the one whom God has sent. So Jesus is saying that if you want life, if you want to find your hunger satisfied, you must find it in me and in my death and in my resurrection. To believe in Christ means to accept him as the crucified one. Apart from that sacrifice on our behalf, Christ ceases to be bread for us in any sense. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about drinking his blood. He's echoing the passage from Leviticus that says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life. The Bible, the Old Testament, believes that the life of the animal that would be sacrificed at the temple, or even the life of the individual, is in the blood. And so as Jesus dies for us on the cross, it's not just his blood being poured out on our behalf, it's his life that he's giving up. And this is what he says that he shall give, that Jesus gives himself up as a sacrifice that he willingly offers. Now, Jesus uses the vivid imagery of eating and drinking so that we would, uh, in our minds, come to think of our own patterns in eating and drinking. I think it's kind of funny that earlier on in this discourse, he says that man cannot live by bread alone. Well, that's all well and good, but you just try living without bread, right? It, it doesn't happen. We, we need bread. We need drink in order to survive. And Jesus is saying that's exactly the point in the same way that you need food for sustenance, in the same way that you need drink to survive is how you need me. Carrying Jesus' words a little bit further into our own lives. All of us are eating and drinking on things in our lives to bring us some sort of satisfaction because the bottom line is that we all hunger. And there's a lot of food before us in our lives, but we will often settle for something because it's what we know. It's what we're familiar with. Over the summer, I took one of my daughters down to New Orleans, and I had planned for us all these wonderful dinners at these amazing restaurants out. And one night we were there at K. Paul's, and I'm reading her the menu and telling her that you can have anything on the menu. Eat as much as you want. It's you, and it's free. Well, it's free for her. I paid for it. Uh, there's also a spiritual comparison. But... <laughs> While I'm explaining to her what's going on in the menu, she was whining and complaining about this and that. And then finally, in a very loud voice for the restaurant to hear, she screamed out, but I want McDonald's. <laughs> it was not a happy meal. <laughs> but, but do you understand? Do you understand that? That that's all she knows. All she knows is McDonald's. And so even if I'm offering her a menu from K. Paul's, she doesn't know what's on that menu. She's never tasted and seen how good it is. She just knows what she knows, and she clings to it. Even if told there's something better, something more delicious, something more nourishing than what you're used to. And oftentimes, because we're so hungry, we'll settle for anything. 
after a men's hike that our church did in South Carolina. We've traipsed through the woods for over 30 miles in a weekend, and on the way home, we saw the first fast food restaurant we could find, and we veered off, and we just got it all. We got the meals, we bought those terrible apple pies, maybe you like them, but you know, we just, and we totally loaded up, and when we pushed back from the table, all of us looked at one another and said, that was a mistake. And sure enough, it, was, it didn't satisfy us. It made us feel even more ill, but we were so hungry that we were going to get whatever was at arm's reach in order to satisfy our lives. We fear that Jesus promise that he will actually feed us and fill us up can't possibly be true. And that this is as good as it gets, this is as good as it's going to get, and so you just settle for what's in front of you and whatever is easiest. But what happens when we feed upon Jesus? Well, one, salvation. He saves us. And I know that that word has a lot of baggage and, uh, and a lot of people will try to avoid it. In fact, just uh, recently in a magazine, The Christian Century, Craig Barnes, the president of Pr- Princeton Theological Seminary wrote, what I do not get is why the more theologically sophisticated a person becomes, the less likely she or he is to have any interest in inviting people to experience conversion. I think that that's true. The more sophisticated we get, the less we need it, and even we fall into the trap of thinking, well, yes, I've come to faith in Jesus, and that's my initial feeding, but it's up to me to sort of scavenge from here on out, and maybe God will throw me a few crumbs from his table. But in fact, what Jesus promises is to be the good shepherd to your souls, like a shepherd to lead you, whether it's green pastures or through the valley of death, to feed you, which sometimes is lush and great, and sometimes it feels like the blessings are sparse, but there he is, lying down in the gate to protect you from wolves and robbers. He's the one that even when you stray away, looking for food somewhere else, he's the one who goes after you, who will never leave you and forsake you. So when he saves you, it's not just a one-time thing, but he's continually saving you. He is continually feeding you, and you have an eternal security in him that no one, no thing, can ever snatch you out of his hand because the grip of grace on your life is much too strong for anything on this earth or under the earth to break. And so because he's our good shepherd, we have a relationship with him. As he said, those who eat and drink remain in me and I in him. That it's a continual fellowship. It's a continual offering of him and dying in your life. Now, there's a sense in which people think eternal life begins the moment you die. So in this world, we just do the best we can, and when we die, we go on to our reward. Now, that's true, in part, but what Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 10, is that I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest, that if you want to exhaust life of its potential, if you want to have your hunger satisfied, you have to feed upon him. You have to look to him for your everything. And so to paraphrase this passage, Jesus said to them, I most solemnly assure you, 
unless by a living faith you accept and believe on Jesus Christ, that you trust in his sacrifice, his broken body and shed blood as the only ground of your salvation, you do not possess everlasting life. That is the love of God shed abroad in your heart, salvation full and free and infinite. So this morning, have you committed yourself to Jesus Christ so that he has become as real to you as eating and drinking? Is he as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? This morning, friends, the Lord has set a banquet before us in his son, Jesus Christ. The bridegroom has come and he knocks at the door of your heart. And by his life and death and resurrection, he has unbound us so that we might open the door of our hearts and that he might dwell in us and we in him. All are invited. He says, this I give for the life of the world. All are invited to this feast. And so will you come and feast upon Jesus and find wholeness and satisfaction in life. And he who is indeed meat and drink, the bread of life himself, Jesus Christ. Amen.